You look agitated, Jason. Well, that's because there are four special branch cops in my office. Oh, what did you do? Nothing. Well, they say they're the presidential bodyguards and they have orders signed by you. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Well, uh, these men are special trained by SAS. They have lots of experience. They protected the clerk. Yes, sir, but it doesn't mean that they have to come... You asked for more men, didn't you? Yes, sir, I asked... Um... When people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here. Reconciliation, sir. Yes, reconciliation, Jason. Comrade President, not long ago these guys tried to kill us. Maybe even these four guys in my office tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. Forgiveness starts here too. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Great film about uh, Nelson Mandela and, and the, the South African president trying to bring together two countries or, or two countries which were in the country into one and really reunite that country and, and the mess that was there. And the guy on the screen there saying, hey, these people were, you know, possibly even months ago trying to kill us. And he's talking about, hey, this is where reconciliation starts. This is where forgiveness begins just love that clip there. And in our passage today in Scripture, we're going to see a man by the name of Peter. You're maybe familiar with Peter from the Bible. And he's going to see where forgiveness starts. And maybe for some of us here in this room today, we will see where forgiveness starts. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 18. That's our text today, Matthew 18. That's on page 398. If you're using one of the Bibles that we've provided for you there in the back. Matthew 18. As, as we approach our text, what's going on is uh, Jesus one day was talking to a group of people that were listening. And disciples. And he's explaining how when a person has been offended or hurt, they go to that person who offended them or hurt them. And they work things out. And if that doesn't work, then you go to the church, and he was explaining this system of two people making restitution, and Peter's standing there listening to all this, uh, and this conversation's going on, and I believe this whole dialogue reminded Peter of something personal that was going on in his, in his life, because apparently there was someone who had hurt him over and over and over again, and Peter's listening to what Jesus is saying, Peter's thinking about his personal situation, and how the two go together. So when Jesus finishes talking about how two people make restitution, uh, Jesus and Peter go over to the side and, and Peter says, you know, I've got a question to ask you here, Jesus. I've got a question. I really need an answer for this. And uh, he says, I heard what you said, Jesus. But let me ask you this. We see the question here in Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. We see the question asked. It says this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? We'll stop right there. So he asks, how many times do I have to forgive here? How many times do I have to forgive a person that keeps coming at me and coming at me and hurting me and offending me? How many times? And then Peter, who knew Jewish rabbis, taught, uh, and this comes from the book of Amos in the Old Testament, that you had to forgive three times. You can max out at three times. Peter tries then to impress Jesus and says, he takes three, doubles it, adds one and says, how about seven times? Just expecting Jesus to go, right on, my man. I mean, you have, that is way more than I'm expecting you to forgive. So he, he, kind of, he throws out, how about seven times? You know, that's a lot in that culture. That's a, you know, kind of a Bible number we see a lot is seven. And just in asking that question, Peter reveals that he has some confusion about the nature of forgiveness. And as I deal with people in life and as you deal with people in life, I think all of us at some point in our lives have suffered from the same confusion about what forgiveness is. Uh, I remember as a little boy, I went to kindergarten 
first day of kindergarten and uh, went in. My mom took me in to meet the new teacher, Mrs. Coomer, all right? And so she took me in there to, to meet my teacher. And I, boy, I remember it like yesterday and I was a bad little boy, all right? I was squirrely. I mean, you know, this is back in the... 70s, you know, I'm sure today I'd be diagnosed and on something, but, uh, you know, I, I was just, I'm serious, I was, I was just a bad little boy, and so uh, she takes me in there and, hey, yeah, Barry, this is your new kindergarten teacher, this is where your experience of learning throughout your life begins, meet Mrs. Coomer, and I, I ran up to her and bit her, <laughs> like a rabid dog or something. I bit Mrs. Coomer. Poor lady, I don't even know where she is today. But uh, I, I bit Mrs. Coomer and my mom jerked me back and to the side and down this little, little hall where there was a door and she began lecturing me, you know, and you're going to go over there and you're going to apologize to Mrs. Coomer for biting her and say you're sorry or, you know, so help me when your dad gets home, he's going to shoot you with a bazooka and, you, you know, all, all, all that stuff, you know, oh, I'm just scared and, and she tells me all this and so I go over to uh, Mrs. Coomer and I say, I'm sorry for biting you. And she, as a loving kindergarten teacher would, bends down and says, Little Barry, I forgive you. <laughs> and bites me. She bit me. She bit me back. You know? On a today's day, she'd be on like administrative leave. And, <laughs> you know, there'd be a huge investigation for how she bit the... The threat to the school, Barry Hughes, and, uh, and all of that, all of that stuff. And she bit me. And you know what my mom did? She was like, "Right on, Mrs. Coomer. You know, you go. That's all. That worked a lot better than a timeout or any of that. I never bit another student or teacher again after that. But uh, that was kind of my first, uh, my first run-in with someone who said, "I forgive you." But then she bit me. We're not talking about that kind of forgiveness today. All right? We're not talking about that kind that bites you back. Uh, because in our text here, Peter, his confusion and his assumption about forgiveness is that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. And if I want to do something nice for the person who hurt me, who offended me, I'll forgive them. That's the assumption. So Peter's saying, I'll stretch, I'll bend, I'll move in their direction, I'll forgive them seven times. But Jesus, at what point do I finally get to draw the line and say, enough is enough, I cannot do this anymore. Because he was convinced, like many of us are convinced, that to forgive someone is to do them a favor. See, here's why we think that. When I'm injured, when you're hurt, uh, when someone takes credit for one of your ideas, when we're wounded emotionally or even hurt physically, there's a sense that the person who did that to you owes you something. That they are a debtor to you. That they are in debt to you. Whenever you're hurt, whenever there's a, you're injured, insulted, someone takes credit for one of your ideas, you're hurt in that type of way, they've taken something from you or maybe withheld something you should have had, there's a sense that they create a debt in your relationship. That's why we say things like, you owe me an apology. Whenever we're hurt, whenever there's this debt, there's pain, there's uh, turmoil in the relationship, conflict in the relationship, uh, there, uh, after all, you're just this innocent victim standing there and someone comes by and hurts you and we feel like that person owes us something. We become, at that point, when we're hurt, the debt holder at that point. Some of you are on jobs, and you feel like your boss owes you more recognition. Some of you, and you're ticked off about it. Or your wife, guys, your wife feels like uh, you should owe her, you know, more, uh, to be more sincere and to be more sympathetic and to be, you know, more loving or this and that, and you're just kind of angry about it. Or, um, you know, you feel like your husband owes it to you to, to do this or that. Or, and you're ticked and you hold this inside and you're mad about it. 
But there's all kinds of things we hear when people are hurt emotionally. We hear things like, they owe me a childhood. They owe me a reputation. They owe it to me to have been at my wedding. They owe it to me to have tucked me in bed at night when I was a child. They owe it to me to have been at my graduation. They, you know, they owe it to me. They owe, they owe, they owe. We feel that way all the time. And all of us sort of develop this debtor relationship with the person who has hurt us or owes us something. So what do we do? Here's some common responses to being hurt. Uh, we, we do what Peter did. Uh, and number one in your notes this morning, there's three of these. The first one is this. We hold on to it. We just hold on to it. We begin to build our case and wait kind of subconsciously for that person to come to us and come to us on their knees and apologize and beg to get back in our good graces and, and, and beg for forgiveness. And we hold on to that, waiting for them to come and apologize. And we feel justified holding on to it. I mean, we're victims, aren't we? I mean, we're minding our own business. We get hurt. Someone hits us maybe uh, physically, maybe emotionally. And we build our case and we hold on to it and we wait and whenever memories of being hurt in that way uh, come into our mind, they make us angry. We're upset about it. I mean, we're holding this debt over this person. And the debt is growing as we hold it. And as we wait and nothing happens, we continue to hold it. You know, we do something else. Not only do we hold on to it, and this is my favorite part. This is number two in your notes. We have imaginary conversations with ourselves. Yeah, you can laugh at that one. We all do, don't we? Yeah, don't lie about it. We'll have to change the message to one about lying. We all have these, all have these conversations with ourselves about it, you know? And aren't they great? Aren't they great imaginary conversations? And, and you always look good in those conversations, don't you? You just look awesome. Here's this person who has hurt you, and you're talking to them about it. You know, maybe it's your parents or some friends or siblings in your family or coworkers, and they've hurt you, and you're, you're, you're mad about it, and you're talking to them about it, and, and you're upset when you have this imaginary conversation about the whole thing. See, when I have imaginary conversations, I'll let you in on a little secret. There's always other people around in the imaginary conversation. So they can hear what I'm saying as I level this person emotionally. As I tell them how wrong they were. And they're standing around going, Ooh, yeah, you're right. You are so justified in that, Barry. And you just, in, in your imaginary conversation, you just level them emotionally. And, and because we're angry, we, we just think, if I could get in that perfect conversation that goes like that, and set me up for this perfect response, man, I'd show them who's right. I'd show them what they did. I'd, they'd come begging on their knees and ask for forgiveness and to get back in my good graces. Oh, that's, that's exactly how it would go. I've, I've pictured it in my mind. And so we build our case. And again, if we were to share it with anybody, how we were hurt, oh, people would go, I understand. You ought to be mad. I'd be upset too. Well, where is that person? Let's take them out. I mean, they would just, they would understand all of that. And we continue to hold that debt as we have those imaginary conversations. And the debt continues to grow. We're holding that debt over somebody else. We hold on to it. We have imaginary conversations. And then you know what some of us do? Somewhere along the way, we're told especially if you're a Christian, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. So thirdly, we stuff our emotions. We stuff our emotions down and down. You're a Christian. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't have those kind of feelings. And so a lot of people begin to take these emotions and they stuff them down and they stuff them down because, boy, I really shouldn't feel this way. In the first place, you know, somebody told me that. And we stuff them down and stuff them down. And you know what happens? We get depressed. And boy, I, I recognize depression and how complex it is. We deal with that in our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Um, but if I could just kind of give you a statement where we could boil it all down. The depression is simply anger that's been stuffed down. 
It's just been stuffed down. It's gone away, you think. It's just below the surface now. Lurking below the surface. And you get depressed. So all of us have our own tactics in how we deal with these things. But there's a tendency on all of our parts to, to hold on to anger because we're justified. We're right! And if anybody has the audacity to come along and interject themselves into our situation and say, you ought to forgive, it just doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. After all, I'm the innocent victim. Why should I, get this, why should I do them the favor of forgiving them when they owe me? After all, I don't owe them. I don't owe them. I don't, I don't owe them anything at all. They took from me. So, we hold on to our anger. Just like that, over the person who has done us wrong. We hold on to our hostility. And we find ourselves asking questions like Peter asked. When is enough enough? How many times do I have to forgive? Do I have to move in their direction? How much do I have to bend? At what point can I say to this person that keeps hurting me over and over again, I draw the line, I'm done. Does that point come where I say, it's your move. You move in my direction because you hurt me. You owe me. You owe me. It's kind of like the books on an account. You know, you, you, you'd have a ledger of an account and how much is owed and how much credit you've put in. The, a book on an account. And those books are still open, unresolved when we go around saying, you owe me. I'm going to wait until you come and you beg for forgiveness. That's what happens. Those books remain open. And that's right where Peter was in this situation. The books on his account were open. And Jesus understood Peter's uh, confusion about it. And he understands our confusion and, and my confusion. And he tells, Jesus then tells this rather strange story. And Jesus was great at this. Uh, the crowd of the disciples would ask a question and Jesus would respond with a story. A, a clear question, and then they get a story. And Jesus goes into this story, and so we're here in Matthew 18. Jesus tells a somewhat strange story, and it seems as if, as if Jesus is going to change the subject and ignore Peter's question altogether. So look with me in Matthew 18. Uh, remember, we already read verse 21. Peter uh, comes to him and says, how many times? And he offers up the number seven. And uh, that's where Peter asked. Let's look at the next verse, verse 22. It says this. We're going to read this whole passage. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Okay, Peter's thinking, wow, that's a lot. But before he can say anything, Jesus continues, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he launches into this thing about kings and servants, right into this story. And I can just imagine Peter going, well, wait, what happened to the subject we were talking about? But he goes on in verse 24 and says, and, when he, and this king, when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents was like a million dollars in our way of thinking today, okay? It was more money than this servant could repay in a couple of lifetimes if that's all he did with his money was to repay back this master and king. It was just impossible to pay the master back with that kind of money. Verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so that payment could be made. Woo! You think you have a bad interest rate on your credit card. Man, what a, you know, what a culture this was at this time. And this king's not an idiot. He's going to cut his losses. He looks at this guy. He knows it's hopeless. He will never be able to pay me back. And so he says, you know, sell them. I'll take what I can. Split up the family. Just sell them. I'll take the money and then move on to the next thing. That's the way they did things back then. Well, of course, the servant just panics and pleads for mercy. Look at verse number 26. It says this, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, and this is sort of funny. Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. 
And perhaps the people in Jesus' audience just laughed. I'm so sure you're going to pay me back. I mean, your bargaining chip is, give me time? And he, they, this audience knew the amount of money, and he knew it was unrealistic for this servant to pay him this money back. It was just ridiculous to say, oh, just give me time and I'll pay you back all of it. All right, look, look at his response. The king or master in verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Literally canceled the debt. Debt canceled. You don't owe me. And the servant could have said, well, what do you mean I don't owe you anymore? And the master could have said, it's my debt. You don't owe me. Debt canceled. You're free to go. Account closed. You don't owe me. Wow. But the story goes on. I imagine at this point, Peter's going, what's this have to do with me and anything? I'm not a king. I don't have a bunch of servants or money. Jesus goes on. Look at verse 28 with me. He says this, but that servant, okay, this is the guy who just begged for mercy and was forgiven. That servant went out, same person, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, this is several days wages, a hundred denarii. Something that could have been paid back. The verse goes on to say that he laid, his, laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, same line, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into a prison till he should pay the debt. Not a very smart move. You certainly can't pay debt from a prison, but that's what he did anyways. And then look what happened in verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They were like, he shouldn't have acted this way. And came and told their master, this is the original master here, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, this is the original servant, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Key phrase, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, we don't know what Peter's thinking, but I imagine about two-thirds the way through this story, he's catching on and realizing that this isn't going in his direction, right? See, he's thinking, someone out there has offended me. There's a bad guy, and he keeps offending me, so me and God are going to somehow, we're going to get back at this person. Isn't that how we think sometimes? Me and God, we're going to get back at this person. And then the story goes on and it begins to occur to Peter that God is the king in the story. And sure enough, Peter is the wicked servant in the story because he has been forgiven a lot and now he's making a big deal and a big case over some guy who owes him very little. And the moral of the story is that Jesus is saying, Peter... You have to forgive every single time. And if you don't, I'm coming after you. Now, wait a minute. You know, I've already been hurt once. I've already got somebody after me, God. I mean, I, I'm the victim. And you're telling me that if I don't bend in their, his or her direction, if I, if I don't forgive, if I don't give them something they don't deserve, God, you're coming after me too? So they're after me and you're after me? Is that the moral of the story? And here's the verse, verse 35, that many of us might like to erase out of the Bible. In fact, Bible commentators won't touch it. It says in verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. End of parable. Peter's sorry he ever even brought up the subject. Man. Now, I want to be as sensitive as I know how to be. Um, I know that, that story that's told there and how it plays out is sort of funny. Um, but forgiveness is such a heavy subject, isn't it? It's a very, very heavy subject. And I know that today some of you in here have been hurt really bad by people. Um, some of you in here today have been hurt over a long period of time by someone. And you could get up here this morning and you could tell 
us your story and we would be so mad at the person who hurt you. We would believe that you are so justified in your anger and holding on to your anger. But here's what Jesus says. Not me. I don't have the nerve to. Here's what Jesus says. He says, ladies, men, teenagers, young adults, you've got to forgive or I'm coming after you. Now how can you say that, God? I mean, I thought you were a good God. How can you be my enemy when I already have, you know, somebody who's coming after me? Well, here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, one of the primary reasons God has the audacity, the nerve to almost threaten us to forgiving other people is this. Our loving Heavenly Father loves us so much and knows that to refuse to forgive is to push the self-destruct button in our lives. Boom! Right there. He knows that. He knows that if we will hold on to anger and hold on to hurt and hold on to bitterness is to take our life and shift it into self-destruct. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. That refusing to forgive, to refuse to, to cut those ties, to refuse to cancel the debt, regardless of how deep it is, regardless of how long it took in your life, is to chain yourself to the hurt and the pain and then drag it through every relationship in your life and affect others in an extremely damaging way. So as insensitive or ridiculous or crazy way it may seem, our Heavenly Father knows that and loves us enough to say in no uncertain terms, in kind of a chastising way as a father would talk to a son, you must, you must, you must forgive or I'm coming after you because I love you and I know what happens. That's powerful. You see, maybe in a strange, distorted way, the reason why our Heavenly Father, uh, and by the way, uh, He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He, maybe nobody else does. He knows it. I don't. And it'd be wrong for me to stand up here and say, hey, man, you need to forgive. Just forgive, all right? Let's close in prayer. Um, but what's your problem, man? Forgive. That, that would not be right. But our Heavenly Father not only knows about it, our Heavenly Father saw it happen, saw the offense, saw the hurt. Maybe you feel like he stood back and did nothing. Boy, there's another sermon. He has seen that and he says to you, because I love you, because I know if you refuse to let go of that, you will self-destruct. And God says, I just almost want to threaten you to say, you must, you must, you must forgive. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster for you. Unforgiveness is like books on an account. They're, they're just still open. It's not resolved yet. You know where I would see this? When, uh, when I used to be in student ministry. Uh, both myself and Pastor Doug Many moons ago, we used to work with teenagers in student ministry. And uh, we get these teenagers, and they'd just be mad and angry. You know, they, they weren't mad or angry at me, or they weren't mad or angry at their youth workers, or anything like that. They would just come in, and they'd, they'd seem to be just having all this anger in them. And then you start poking around and asking some questions to these teenagers, and you realize that uh, they're holding on to some hurt in the past. Maybe from mom or dad, maybe from somebody else. And they're just holding on to that anger. They're just holding on to it. And it begins to slowly self-destruct their lives. And they begin to do destructive things and in some strange sense think, I'm getting back at this person who hurt me by destructing myself. You see that over and over again. I'll teach that person a lesson. I'll hurt myself. And you look at this from the outside and you think, man, how, how tragic. You know where else we see this? You know, young couples come in for some premarital counseling. You know, 
six months, a year before they're going to get married. And uh, you sit down for counseling and all this anger comes out. And they're not mad at one another. You know, they're about to get married. Things are great there. They're not mad at each other. It's obvious that their anger comes from somewhere else outside the relationship. There's a past hurt. There's unforgiveness that they're chained to. And they're bringing it now into their new relationship. Sometimes they don't even know where it comes from. But they're ticked off. They're angry. And it has the potential to come into a new relationship and hurt a new family. You know? You know where I see this? I see this talking with 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 year olds. It reaches and touches all of us. All of us. And as you begin poking around and talking to people, it's really easy to find that there's some past unforgiveness. And that there's some anger there. And they're, they're carrying it around into all of their relationships. They just never let it go. And if we were to hear their story, we would go, we understand, man, I understand you, why you're angry. You're justified in that. You have every right to be bitter. You have every right to be resentful. But the problem is, they're hanging on to it. And it's destroying their life. And it will destroy our lives. Hanging on to that, people, destroys marriages. It comes into new families and destroys things and affects another generation of children that are growing up in that home. See, do you guys realize that we all have seasons of life? You know, we all are in different seasons of life. You know, I've got like elementary and middle school age kids right now. I'm in a different season of life than some of the people who were up here on Mother's Day dedicating babies. You know, praise the Lord, I'm not in that season of life anymore. <laughs> you know, and you're in a different season of life for me. You know, some of you are empty nesters and you're, in, or you got high schoolers and they're driving and all. We, we have these different seasons of life, no matter if you're 16, 26, or 62, we have these different seasons of life. And in those seasons, if we bring in unresolved hurts from the past, unforgiveness, man, it's easy to lose the source of that original hurt and begin to take it out on everybody in the new season of life that you're in. And they're going, what in the world? What in the world are you doing? All of a sudden, you find yourself in this new season of life, and people just make you mad. Everybody makes you mad. And you bring it, you, you bring it to the table in other seasons. And then you go into this season, and you still got it with you. And you continue to hurt others in that season of your life, from one to the next. And if you do, after a while, you'll find that you are angry and mad at every person. And you blame everybody for everything. It's a real push the destruct button in your life moment. I mean, it, it causes pain like nothing else. And you start crediting other people's accounts for hurt and pain and unforgiveness in the past. Because it happened way back in some season of your life. But you have still held on to it and drug it through all these new seasons of your life. That's how it works. And our loving Heavenly Father knows, and He's sensitive enough to know, and through this parable, say to them and to us today, I understand your pain, but you have to let it go. Because it's eating your lunch. And guess what, church? You'll never allow the past to be the past until you deal with the issue of forgiveness. You never let, let the past be the past. Another reason Jesus had the audacity to say that to this group is this. And this is my favorite one. Because he knew in a few days something that was going to happen that was going to change the course of history. And that is the cross. And please take this the right way. All of us, no matter how bad the pain, no matter how long the hurt, all of us at the cross lost our right to refuse to forgive. Anybody for anything that they have done. We lost our right there. We lost our right. It's in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. You've got it there on the screen that says, Let all bitterness, wrath, 
anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, when Jesus decided to die for you and to die for me, our Heavenly Father already knew about us. He already knew about us. He already knew the times that I'd make promises to him and then not follow through. He knew that. He knew the periods of your life where you would completely ignore his word. He knew the times that you and I would know what to do and that it was right, but we would choose not to do it. We would choose to do what was wrong and we'd get in all kinds of trouble and try to figure it out. He knew the times that we would go to him in prayer because we needed to be bailed out of a situation and as soon as God bailed us out of a situ situation, we went on our merry ways and just totally blew off God. He knew about that. And you know what he decided? He decided to forgive us anyway. So, I can forgive by choosing to cancel someone's debt. But then you know what else he had to do? He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he did all of that knowing exactly what we would be like and he did it anyway. And it's in the shadow of the cross that you and I are required and commanded to forgive one another just as Christ did for us. And it's in the shadow of the cross that all those, oh yeah, but you don't know, and you don't understand what he did, and well, she did this and this thing over here, and all those excuses, all of those things begin to pale in significance when we are standing in the shadow of the cross and we understand what God has first done for us. Because you see, God hasn't asked you to die for anybody. He's asked you to cancel their debt. And again, as sensitively as I, as I know how, no matter how deep the pain, no matter how long it has gone on, we all lost our right to refuse to forgive when we think of what Christ has done for us in order to forgive us on the cross. So Jesus says to this group that we're reading about today and to us, no matter how deep the pain, you're like the wicked servant if you forget the mercy that's been shown you. And Jesus says, I want you to take that same mercy that's been shown to you, that same forgiveness, and I want you to show it to those people who have hurt you. Woo, that's powerful, isn't it? And Jesus says, just as I have shown you mercy I, in, in forgiving you all of your sins, paving a way for you to spend eternity with me in heaven, nothing stands in the way of that. I want you to reach out to others and cancel their debt and show that kind of mercy that I've poured out on you. That same mercy, not for your sake or their sake necessarily, not for the offender's sake, but for yours or your life will self-destruct. You know, a lot of us I think have realized forgiveness isn't for the person that hurt you. I mean, it may do some good relationally, no, forgiveness is for you as well. Did you know that? It's for you as well. Forgiveness allows you and I to cut that chain of the past and, and to end it right there. It allows us to move on without that junk, leave behind the anger that impacts all of our relationships. It allows us to do that. And your Heavenly Father knows this so well. He says to us, you must, you must, you must forgive for your sake. You've got to forgive. Because when you forgive, you'll be free. And the traditions of that old bad family you were a part of, or the, the pain from that past, or that hurt from this or that, will begin to subside and go away. Well, how do I do that? Three things to keep in mind as we think about uh, the forgiveness process. And always think about forgiveness in the terms of canceling the debt. That's the picture that Christ gave to us. The first thing here under how do we cancel the debt is this. You and I need to identify what has been, what we believe has been taken or withheld from us. You need to identify it. That's so important. And this is the thing most of us won't do. This is why some of us would say, 
like this. I've already forgiven them. Oh, you have? Why are you talking like that? Because I've already forgiven them. Let's not talk, talk about it. I've forgiven them. But if I were to run into them in public, I'd knock their head off. <laughs> right? We do that, don't we? we? We talk like that. I've forgiven them. Let's not talk about it. You know? You no, know you haven't forgiven them. You're still mad. There's, there's unforgiveness there. There's unforgiveness. So we need to identify. See, here's the thing. We hurt generally. When someone hurts us, we hurt generally. And we, we like to forgive generally. But it's really important that we identify it. Here's what I want you to do. Just right there in your seat. I want you to think of how you've been hurt, how you've been offended. That forgiveness that needs to be given out about the certain subject that is yours personally and yours alone. And I want you to think about that and just placing it in your hand. And holding on to it. Think about what has been taken from you. Maybe it was a childhood. You know, maybe it was marriage vows. Think about what has been withheld from you. Maybe it was respect or recognition or credit for an idea. And hold it in your hand. Forgiveness is about identifying what we think that person owes me. He or she owes me. What we think has been withheld in order to restore our fellowship, we've got to identify it. You can't just generally say something about it. You've got to pinpoint it. So first thing is, I need to identify what's been taken. The second thing you need to do, and this is it, it's simply let it go. Let it go. You see, forgiveness is not a feeling. You don't feel your way into forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. I choose to cancel the debt. I choose to cancel that debt. You don't owe me any longer. I don't even have to tell that to a person. I can just decide that. Lord, they did this to me. I'm canceling the debt. They don't owe me. Here's what they took from me. Here's what I think they owe me. But I'm letting go. I'm just canceling the debt. And you end up with an open hand. Which, by the way, when you cancel someone's debt, it's a response to God and it's an act of worship. And you end up with your hands in surrender. Little tidbit there. They don't owe me. You can simply cancel the debt. Debt canceled. I love that. And you'll have your reasons. Oh, they should have been at this. They should have done this. They should have, you know, helped with this or that. They should have been there during my teenage years. You know, I was in need and they weren't there. They should have been at my wedding, my graduate, you know, all of those things. You're going to have your reasons, but you can make a decision. They don't owe me anymore. I'm canceling the debt. You're forgiven. And that really begins to close the door on our enemy, the accuser. And forgiveness closes the account on those books that are still open. Forgiveness breaks the, the power of anger and, and cuts the chains. It's the only thing that does. So I identify what I believe has been taken or withheld. I let it go. And then thirdly, and this is the hard thing, you've got to refuse to pick it back up. You have to refuse to pick it back up. You see, the problem is forgiving somebody doesn't erase your memory, does it? You still remember, right? For, I wish you could just forgive somebody and then forget. Oh, forgive and forget. And no. <laughs> doesn't work like that, does it? I would just forgive somebody and someone pull out one of the little pen deals from Men in Black and boop, you know, just erase your memory. And then you're just all like, hey, what do you want to go get some falafels? And, you know, and be all good and everything's fine and, you know, it's all just grand. But that doesn't happen, does it? We can forgive, but those hurts leave scars and sometimes those are painful and we remember, you know. The Bible says this about God, that He remembers our sins no more. He, he, he remembers them no more. I, I don't really like it when we say about God, well, He forgets our sins, like we've just assigned amnesia to Him. Now He's not an all-knowing God either, you know. But He chooses to not pick those back up. He chooses to not hold those against us. 
Boy, how I wish we could just forgive and forget. But it doesn't work that way. But you've got to choose to not pick that back up again. And when that happens, when, when, you, when you refuse to pick that back up, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a memory of that pain. Something is going to trigger that past hurt. And you're going to not pick that back up again. And slowly, over time, that pain's not going to be as bad because you're not picking it back up. That resentment isn't going to be as much because you're not dwelling on it. You're not picking it back up because you have said, I've canceled the debt. I have canceled the debt. They do not owe me. They do not owe me. And your mind begins to get renewed as you're in God's Word and as you've made this decision not to pick up that debt. Your mind begins to get renewed and you've got this habit of refusing to pick up that pain, refusing to reinstate that debt. And guess what? Memories might always be a little bit painful, but over time, again, it'll get better. Over time, there will be less of it. Oh, there's always some hurt. But as you decide, I'm canceling the debt, that will begin to go away. And guess what? It may even open a door for a reuniting of you and that person who hurts you. All of a sudden, as you refuse to pick that up, a door opens for a new relationship with that person. For you to say, hey, I haven't talked to you in years. We've been angry. We haven't spent time together. None of that. There's been many years in pain. But a door begins to open into a new relationship with that person. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. As you refuse to pick up something that was once very negative could become a source of joy and testimony of God's grace in your life over time as you refuse to pick that back up. Stacy, my wife, and I personally know some missionaries in Guyana in South America. And um, they're there now. They've been on the mission field for some 30 years. And um, she was, to make a long story short, she was raped on the mission field by some guy in Guyana. And nothing comes of it legally, of course. He went scot-free. Uh, she got pregnant. And uh, they have the baby. And the son looks just like the offender. I met him. Little kid running around church. And she would tell you today that she built a case against him and held on to that debt. Everybody knew she was justified. She had every right to be furious and angry and hurt and resentful about it. But she would tell you today, if this man came to me, he could never pay me back. And I, I have held that debt out over his head, waiting for him to come and ask for forgiveness, which he'd probably never, ever do. And she would say to you, resentment and anger begin to destroy my life and destroy my relationships. I had, she'd say, I had walls coming up. No one could get close to me. I wouldn't let anybody around me. And then she said, I realized I am holding a debt over him that he cannot so what's the point of holding it any longer so I canceled the debt I am a free woman yeah absolutely isn't that something isn't that something and if she can let go I can let go God canceled the debt so that I could cancel the debt I want us to end our service a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, I'd like to spend, uh, I don't want to lead you through a prayer of canceling the debt. And so uh, it's really helped me. It's been a great prayer for people. Um, it's a healing prayer. And in a minute, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if you'd say, you know what? That's me. I, I need to cancel somebody's debt. I realized I'm ticked off. I'm angry. I, I've got every reason to be, but number one, I, 
I realize I can't hold on to that any longer because what Christ has done for me. And number two, I can't hold on to that any longer because it's going to self-destruct my life. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just raise that hand of unforgiveness, holding that debt, and then release it. And uh, it's just a very, very, very healing prayer. We'll have our heads bowed and eyes closed. And you just pray to God uh, from your heart to His. You don't have to say any exact words or anything like that. We're going to cancel some debt this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Have every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you see our hearts and you see our pain. Uh, Lord, you see the things in the past that bind us in the present. You see marriages, Father, that are destroying one another, and it's not even from people in their marriage. It's from people in the past and situations there. God, give us the grace today to forgive and simply cancel that debt. Now, uh, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're ready to do business with God in a way that you would just raise that clenched fist, uh, just raise it up right there in your seat. Hold up that unforgiveness. Hold up that debt that you identified against that person. Just hold it up. No one's looking around. And just keep that, fi that fist clenched. Just raise it up all over the place. We've got hands everywhere. And just pray this to the Lord. You don't have to use my words. Just say it to the Lord. God, I, I recognize that at the cross, I lost my right not to forgive. Thank you for giving me, for forgiving me all of my sins. Lord, I've been harboring anger in my heart against and just tell God against who? God, I feel like I've been robbed or I've been a victim. And just tell God about what? Just take a moment and tell God what you feel like you've been robbed or had taken from you. And Lord, right now I'm choosing to cancel that debt. They don't owe me any more debt canceled. Please allow my painful memories to become reminders of your grace and forgiveness and healing in my life. Let's all together in this room just open those hands in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not grasping the whole forgiveness thing. You, you haven't heard much about the cross and what Jesus did for us because you've never received forgiveness. Being able to forgive others begins with you receiving Christ today. And the Bible tells us that right, right where you sit in your seat today, from your heart to God's, you can ask, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So in your words to God, just right in your seat this morning, if you need to take that step, just tell Jesus, tell, tell Him, say, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Be my master and forgive me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die and for, for paying the debt that we could never, no, not ever pay. Uh, give us grace to show that kind of mercy and love to other people. And in the process, heal us, Lord, of our past. Give us uh, courage to find strength, to move on, to, to press forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's celebrate together all the decisions made for Christ today. Absolutely.